the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight we, um, of course, begin Holy Week um, following one of the greatest feasts, which is Palm Sunday. And as we reflected this morning, that this morning is um, was Christ's proclamation of his kingship. But to have done that, Jesus would have come, would have had to have come to a point in saying that I have given everything I can to the people, that I have given them my promises, I have given the people my words, I have performed miracles, I have explained the scriptures. There is nothing else that I can do now without taking away the, will, the free will of the people, um, and that now it is time. So for, for Christ to have come to that point, all of those things must have been true. That he's saying, I have given what I can without taking away your free will. In a couple of the gospel readings tonight, we see that Jesus is speaking with the disciples and he asks them a question. And this is the question that sums up Holy Week and what it represents in my life. And the question is, who do you say that I am? In the Gospel we read, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In our lives we may face the same question, but in different contexts. Not necessarily about the simple question of do you believe do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? But it can be even what God represents, who God is. And so we face these questions and make sometimes in different contexts, we respond similarly. We say, Well, my church says, my religion says, my parents say. But he's saying, okay, but who do you say I am? And again, we may not have any issue with saying that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but it's more, more than just whether Jesus Christ is God. But is he the cornerstone? Is God everything? You know, this gentleman, uh, I was with Buddha the other day, and this gentleman approached uh, he approached me as I was walking back to the car and he said that, you know, he was explaining that he's Catholic and he talked about how many young people, you know, that there's young people who need the church. And so I forgot, I think I asked, like, okay, why do you, why do you perceive that many, many young people are leaving the church? And he said, well, they marry people, they marry people who are not believers and so they leave. But of course, I had to go, so I didn't get too deep into the conversation. But marrying someone who is an unbeliever is not the reason why someone leaves, the, leaves God or, or rejects a spiritual life with God through the church. But it's because God was simply a good idea until 
there was something else that took place, that took his place. He's a good idea until I met someone. But again, it doesn't need to be in the context of, of marriage. I was just using this as an example. But it could be that God is a good idea until, until my career is, you know, uh, progresses so, so much. He could be a good idea until work gets busy, until there's sports going on, until there's a hobby that, that uh, is interfering. And then this gentleman kind of continued on and seeing, saying, you know, I, it's, you know, people, it's good for people to have faith in their life because it's just, it's just a good thing to have. But Jesus, he's not a therapist. Jesus, yes, you may say that whatever statistics show that people of faith have certain characteristics. But with believing in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ as God, it's not to sort of um, console my, my mind, to be like a therapeutic idea. But God is about salvation, to save us from death. And we read, in, I think it was in the exposition, speaking about how unless the Son of Man dies, there is no life. There is no eternal life, unless the Son of Man dies. And that's why Christ, he got frustrated many times with the people when he, when, when he would they would only look to the signs and the miracles. And so he said, the only sign that you're going to get is Jonah. That'll be the only sign. So the, he's saying that the only thing that is meaningful in our lives is the resurrection. The only thing meaningful for us in this life is, is, is the complete destruction of sin and the fullness of spiritual healing. How did the disciples come to have this faith in Jesus? To the point that that the disciples themselves, most of them, died for his sake. I have some reflections that I want to share. Part of it will come from Abuna Metta's, he has a small book, Abuna Metta, Father Matthew the Poor, a small book called The Grain of Wheat. And we find that that is the sort of the theme of, of tonight. Because in the Gospel reading we read, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So the, the church starts Holy Week off with this teaching of dying to the world. And that's why during Holy Week, we typically, you know, whatever we, whatever we try to fast from during Lent, we try in Holy Week to even go further. You know, that's why many times you, you might find that we try to refrain from you know, watching TV or getting, you know, going on social media or, you know, socializing much or, you know, taking, you know, going out, like let's go bowling and we refrain during Holy Week because Holy Week is like, reminds us of death, to be dead to the world. And when I die to the world, then of course the blessings of Holy Week, as we will, as we will find, will produce much grain in us. So he gives us a 
Gunamete, he gives us a couple of points that I wanted to reflect on that I thought would be beneficial for us to, to, to hear. The first is not putting obstacles in God's way of completing his plan. When Jesus went into Jerusalem this morning, we remember that he went to the temple and he turned the tables of the money changers. When I tell God, yes, you are the Son of God, then I give God the freedom to turn tables in my life. Do we not say, do we not say to God, let my will be your will? Is that not an invitation to God to impose himself on us? And so we say, come and turn the tables in my life. Turn the tables of, of all of the things that, that, that I wish to be destroyed from the corruption of this world. He uses force to destroy corruption. Same way God saves us by destroying the old man in us. In John chapter 2, we read, Then his disciples remembered, after this incident, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And it's referring to Jesus and his zeal for his father's house. Zeal for your house. Jesus is saying, zeal for your house, father, has eaten me up. We are God's house. We are temples of, temples of God, are we not? Is it not us that make up the church because God dwells in us? Do we not... Do we not, does Christ not enter our bodies in a physical way? Does the Holy Spirit not enter into us through all of the graces of the Holy Spirit and through baptism? And the Pharisees see what Jesus did and say, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Meaning, how can you come and, and cause such a ruckus? Who are you to do this and claim kingship? And Jesus, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, he's speaking about his death and his resurrection. But for us, he is saying, destroy the old man and I will raise you up. Destroy the old man and I will raise you up. And they told him it took decades to build the temple and you're going to do it in three days. And of course, they didn't understand what he meant. But sometimes that's us saying to God, but this makes me feel better. This, this way feels right. And you want me to do differently? Our passions have to be destroyed, but it must be without any stone left. In Matthew chapter 24, when he was speaking about the destruction of the temple, he said, he said, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Otherwise, if even one stone was left stacked upon another, he knew that it would be worshipped. That having only one, one thing left. Imagine it's kind of like, uh, you know, when we have something in our life, if we have just one of it left, we try, to, we try to preserve it. It's like our passions, you know. It's like if you have, I don't know, a dessert or something, and, and it's the last piece and you're, you're eating it so slowly because you know that this is the last piece. And in the same way, we do the, thing, we do the same thing with our passions. If we remove the obstacles that separate me from God, whether they're my doubts, my laziness to pray, my social views, my passions, God can inspire us in many ways. And this is when God imposes himself, that when we, when we, choose, when we desire that not one stone be left, 
then God will impose himself on us when we desire it. Because by our own nature, we are incapable of, gra of grasping God. And he tells, he says to Peter, St. Peter says, the human capacity basically cannot um, come to the conclusion, come to this conclusion on its own. Only the Father can reveal this to you. Because he says in Luke chapter 9, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> so when we, when we allow God to come in and turn the tables in our, in our life, and to, even to the point in which not one stone is left, to rid ourselves, then God will say, I will, everything will be revealed to you. And you can chase as much as you want, you can chase everything in this world, but to know to know God's will and His glory, we must uh, it must be from the Father. The second point that um, Father Matthew Core gives us is not to falsify God's work, which means for us not to pretend that the old self is dead. He gives the example of like. Um, if we preach about suffering and we preach about the cross, but I myself am not ready to tolerate injustice or humiliation. Or to say that I am fervent in the salvation of, of, of all mankind, but I hesitate in letting people know about, about Christianity, that I am Christian. Or maybe I am judgmental towards others. The disciples, they lived according to the way of God, not the way of the world. And so it was, they of course had to live their life in, the way, in a way that reflects that they are not falsifying God's work. That they themselves are, if they preach suffering in the cross, that they themselves are willing to suffer and, and tolerate injustice, which they did of course. It doesn't mean that we cannot enjoy certain things in the world. Um, not that we're supposed to isolate ourselves, but um, as we heard in the Catholic epistle from this morning, we heard, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So what, what the epistle was, is teaching us is to, is to reject the, the, the um, clinging to the world. And the more, that we, the, more that we, the, the more that we separate ourselves from these things in our lives, the, the clinging to the things of the world, the more that we come to know God. Again, because, God, because the Father will reveal himself. There was a story about this couple who was married for like 20 years. And after 20 years and their kids grew up and they you know, graduated high school and left for college and they look at each other and they're like, I don't know this person. I don't know this other person. Why? Because the mother, her sole identity was raising her children and the father, his sole identity was to work. So after the kids are gone, and after there's, there's, more, there's more time, and, and the husband now is 
ready to kind of wean off from work. He sees this first, they see this other person, they say, who are you? And unless we're prepared to experience some of these deaths, these deaths which are the passions and these things that we reflected on, unless we're willing to experience some of these deaths in our lives, and Father Matthew, he's saying that God will say, who are you? Because there will be a time in which we stand before God and we will have finished, we will have finished everything that, was, that we needed to do in, on earth, in the world. Just like the couple, over the 20 years they had so many responsibilities. And then there's going to come a point when we stand before God. And Jesus will say, uh, and Jesus will say, who are you? If I, if I have not been ready to allow these deaths in my life. And then so, we will ask Jesus, who do you say that I am? He's asking us the question now. And as we ask ourselves, and as, as we allow ourselves to be asked this question by Christ, and to live and to choose in this life what we want this life to be about. And then one day, we will be in front of Him and we will ask Him, now who do you say that I am? If I haven't been willing to die, He will say, I do not know you. And if I have, He will say, enter into the joy of your Lord. So today specifically is about preparing the disciples for His death on the cross in order to bring about a path for God's creation to follow in order to be restored to its glory. And of course, Holy Week has, you know, is, is, is one week and it will go by very quickly. And so, of course, we pray that we encourage each other to take this Holy Week as an opportunity to find certain things in our lives that we wish for God to turn over as He did in the Temple, that we may gain much and be glorified in His resurrection to Him be the glory of the of the ages of all ages and all.